Welcome to the Memorial Sermon Podcast. It's our hope that this message would encourage you in your walk with God and drive you closer to Jesus. For more information about our church, visit mbcmetairie.org. Now, here's this week's message. So you're turning in your Bibles this morning to Romans chapter 3. I was watching the news this past week and I saw how uh, the U.S. unemployment rate has jumped to 14.7%, almost 15% in April. It's the highest level since the Great Depression. And many businesses are shut down and, and have uh, maybe put off operations to limit the spread of the coronavirus. And in some places of our country, I've seen that, that the economy and unemployment has even jumped not just from 15%, but all the way up to, to 25%. And some of y'all are, are feeling the effects of that deeply. And, and so we want to recognize that this morning and know that we are praying for you and we're walking alongside of you. The Labor Department has said that 20.5 million people abruptly lost their jobs, uh, wiping out a decade of employment gains in a single month. And, and it's just amazing how this crisis has, uh, it hasn't even compared to what we saw back in 2008 with what took place in the economy. And, and if, if you're dealing with that today, you know, you, some of y'all may be able to really relate to this. If you've lost your job, uh, and as many of them have, I mean, there's, there's two choices that you have, unfortunately. One choice is just to simply rack up debt. Say, you know what? I'm going to use my credit card. I've got to, I've got to buy groceries. I got to put food on the table. I've got to take care of my family. I may have even have to take out a loan, something like that. Or if that's not an option for you, then, then the other option would be instead of racking up debt or going into debt would be to, you've got to ask for help. You've got to go to someone, whether it be government assistance or maybe there's some family members or certainly a, a church and say, you know what, I, I need some help during this time. And, and so for the past two and a half chapters, as we have been in the book of Romans, the Apostle Paul has actually been hitting on that, not in an economic sense, but, but in a sin sense. He says that, that he's been describing this sin debt problem. And the debt of our sin doesn't affect 15% of us or 25% of us. That there is a moral debt, a sin debt that affects 100% of the population. You might be here this morning or be watching online and you think, you know what, I'm a pretty good person. But what the Apostle Paul has been saying over the past two and a half chapters is that all of us, all of us are in debt. And so if you've got your notes this morning, maybe you were able to pull them out on worship guide and print them out if you're watching online, or maybe you were able to get a set of notes this morning. I've got in your notes this morning, just right out of the gate, I want you to write this out. Up until now, we have seen that all of humanity is morally bankrupt, morally bankrupt. And we have nothing but sin debt before a pure and holy God. And, and it's scary in a sense because one day Jesus is going to come back and he's going to settle all accounts. And if your debt has been paid by Jesus, then you'll be fine. But if your debt hasn't been paid by Jesus, then you're going to be turned away and you're not going to be able to enter into eternal life. 
And so as we think about that, as we look into that, I want you to join me in Romans chapter 3. And we're going to start in this passage and we're going to read through it real quick. And then I want to home in on just really one or two verses that I guarantee are going to really open our eyes this morning. Romans chapter 3, starting in verse 21, says, But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been revealed. That is the way to have your sin debt paid. It goes on to say, attested by the law and the prophets. The righteousness of God is through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. Since there is no distinction. Look at verse 23. This is such a popular verse. Many of you maybe grew up uh, memorizing this verse. It says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. They are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Verse 25. God presented Him as an atoning sacrifice in His blood received through faith to demonstrate His righteousness because in His Restraint, God passed over the sins previously committed. God presented him, talking about Jesus, to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so that he would be righteous and declare righteous the one who has faith in Jesus. And then it goes on in verse 27. I just want to say a few words about this. It says, where then is boasting? It's excluded. By what kind of law? By one of works? No, on the contrary, by a law of faith. For we conclude that a person is justified by faith apart from works of the law. In other words, here's what I want you to understand as we, we kind of see through that. Our, our society today is infatuated with celebrities. Look up People Magazine, which is one of the most popular magazines in our nation today. And we're, we're infatuated with celebrities, people who have done things. I know we haven't been watching very many sports lately, and we've been kind of missing out on, on some sports programs, but we're, we're infatuated with like great athletes who have done great things. And we actually have places for those athletes who have done those great things. They're called Hall of Fame. And so many of those folks are out there. And so what the Bible talks about here is he says, look, if you were able to get to heaven by your good works, he said that we would manufacture almost like these religious hall of fames where we would say, oh, look at me. I've been so good. I really deserve to go to heaven. And some of us would, would feel doubt where we would say, I'm not as good as that person. And we would be discouraged. That's what it's talking about here, that, that it's by faith and not by works so that no person can, can boast or brag or, or be a celebrity of how good they are. Then join me with verse 29. He's talking about God and the Jews and the Gentiles coming together as one. Or is it, or is God the God of the Jews only? He is not the God of, is he not the God of Gentiles too? Yes, of Gentiles too. Since there is one God who will justify the circumcised by faith, that's talking about the Jews, and the uncircumcised through faith, that's talking about the Gentiles. Look in verse 31. Do we then nullify, nullify the law through faith? Absolutely not. On the contrary, we uphold the law. And, Certainly, Paul is addressing the two groups that we've been talking about uh, in the Church of Rome, both Jews and Gentiles, and how that they both need the gospel. If you've got your notes, I want you to look with me. There's a note right there. There's no blank right there, but here's what I want us to be looking at. So I've entitled my sermon today, A Righteousness by 
faith. Not by works, but by faith. And God's righteousness comes by faith. I want us to just hang out here for, for just a second. Look with me just one more time. I really want to hone in on these verses. Look at verse 22. It says the righteousness of God is through faith in Jesus Christ. Now, now here's what I want you to understand. Faith is, is believing in something. But, but it's so much more, look at me, it's so much more than intellectual belief. We can believe in anything intellectually, but it's, it's actively trusting in someone or something. That's what faith is. It's that active trust. And when you actively trust in something, let's just be honest, there's a confidence that comes when you trust in something, when you believe in it. If you don't know if you can trust in something, if you don't know that you can have faith in something, what do you typically do? Typically, you'll take things kind of slow. You'll ease into things, kind of see where it's going to go. For some of y'all, maybe that's how you've done with your relationships. You know, you say, you know what, I, I, you know, I've been burned before. I don't need to just jump into this. I don't know if I can have faith in this. And, you know, I need to kind of walk slowly. I need to sleep on it. So maybe there's been a relationship that you don't know that you can have faith in and that you can put your confidence in. Maybe there's even a financial decision. And I would encourage probably many of us to say, you know, we don't need to just jump in full force into financial decisions. We need to, you know, we need to kind of pause and sleep through, uh, sleep on some of those decisions that, that we make financially. And so, so a lot of times we know what it feels like to move slow. But then there's other things in our life that you do have faith and you do have trust. And many times you've probably not even thought twice about those things. I know a lot of us aren't flying these days. In fact, I've seen many of, uh, of the airports are, are empty. But many of you who have flown before, you know what? When, before you got on that plane, did you know the pilot? Did you know his name? Did you know his credentials? Probably not. But you got on that plane and you trusted that that, that plane was going to get from point A to point B. You had faith. You had confidence in that. It wasn't just intellectual, but you actually stepped out on that plane and had faith. When you sit, many of you guys are, are sitting here this morning in, in your lawn chairs. I love seeing lawn chairs. Or by the way, the, the, the sofa this morning, we, we got our sofa crowd that's back here again today. Or if you're watching from home, maybe you're sitting in a, a chair or something. Maybe if you're watching from the kitchen. And so if you're sitting here in the chair, you know what? Many of you probably didn't walk around that chair, look over that chair to see if it was safe. Many of you guys this morning, you just simply opened it up and plopped right down. You had faith in that chair that it was going to hold you up. And then for some of us, you know, when, when we go down Interstate 10 or when we go across, uh, when we're going and we're traveling, you know, many times when we go across things like bridges, have you ever thought about this? Those bridges that you cross when you go visit family members or when you're maybe going on vacation, whenever you're uh, maybe going on trips, going to work. When you go across a bridge, can I ask you this? Do you know the engineers involved in that bridge? Maybe a few of you might, but for the vast majority, you don't know the engineers that worked on that bridge. You don't know their credentials. You don't know the workers uh, that worked on that bridge. And yet you drive out on that bridge with confidence and faith because you trust it. It's the same way with our relationship with God. We trust in Jesus Christ 
to forgive us of our sins, but it's not just something that we think of mentally or intellectually. It's something that we step out on, on faith, and we say, God, I'm trusting you. I'm totally dependent upon you to save me from my sins. For those that are watching online, or and if you're out here in the parking lot, I'll just tell you a little bit about it. There's a place called Capilano Suspension Bridge Park. And it's in, uh, it's in Vancouver in Canada. And let me tell you, if, if a national park is known for its suspension bridge, like they name the park after the suspension bridge, I would, I would venture to say that's a pretty important bridge. And let me tell you a little bit about this suspension bridge. We're going to put it up for those online who will be able to see it. The Capilano Suspension Bridge is a simple suspension bridge and it crosses the Capilano River in the district of North Vancouver, British Columbia. The current bridge is, uh, is 460 feet long. So 460 feet long and it stretches out. If you see a picture of this, it's beautiful. It actually goes up into the treetops. It's almost 10 stories high. Can you imagine? This is a suspension bridge. It doesn't have any pillars that are coming down below it. It crosses the river and it's 10 stories high. If you were to fall off this suspension bridge, you would fall 10 stories into the river. And so as you're walking out across the treetops, it's beautiful to see all the folks that go across this bridge. And people walk across this thing daily. They visit the park and, and they're not worried. It's amazing. They walk out on this bridge and they're not worried about falling. Here's what I want to give you a mental picture of this morning. We're going to, as we go through these different notes, I want, maybe if you've got them here this morning, I want to give you a mental picture of each thing that we're going to talk about this morning. So God's righteousness comes by faith. I want you to write this down. Number one, in the person and work of Jesus, just like we read in verse 22, comes by faith in the person and work of Jesus Christ. I, I want you to understand Jesus is our bridge. We were on one side with death and sin and we needed to be saved but we could not span the gap but what we've got to do is we've got to step out onto the bridge called Jesus Christ and go to the other side where there is righteousness where there is holiness and we can't get there on our own we have to walk in faith by Jesus and there's many who would be here today and they say oh yeah yeah pastor Dan I I, I believe in Jesus well, that's like saying, of course I believe in the Capilano Bridge. But there's also something in believing. You have to step out and trust in it. I want to share a little story with you. I was taking one of our students home many years ago who was part of our youth group here at Memorial Baptist. And uh, I was giving him a ride home and youth group had taken place that night. And as I, as I took this particular student home and there were some folks uh, outside of his house who were just hanging out. And, and I could tell as I was driving up that they were having a party and most of them were pretty inebriated. And, uh, and, and they saw me with him and they apparently knew this particular student. And when they saw me, for whatever reason, they, they thought that I might be a threat to this particular student. And they said, so, so who is this? Who is this? Are, are you okay? And, you know, they walked up to this student 
And the student looked back at, at these folks that were partying in the street and just kind of hanging out. And he, and he looked back at them and he said, yeah, I'm, I'm just fine. Nothing to worry about. This is actually my, my pastor, Pastor Dan. Well, unfortunately, sometimes when people hear the word pastor, immediately they put on their best behavior. And they try to, you know, look the part and, and all that. And, and one of them was actually in a, a mental state. He wasn't all there. He actually took off his shirt and uh, and said oh oh well hey well hey pastor i want you i I believe in jesus in fact look at my jesus tattoo had a big old tattoo of of jesus right there on his chest and as i saw that as i saw that that mental picture in my mind I, i you know i could tell you know while he might believe in jesus intellectually and maybe even religiously that's probably why he got it for religious reasons but I think it was pretty apparent based on the things that I saw that night that it really wasn't walking with, with God. If, if anything, had maybe uh, walked away from his faith or something like that. And, and as I saw that, I thought to myself, you know what? There's such a difference in a religious belief and an intellectual belief and really putting your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. So I want you to think of that bridge. The second thing that I want us to look at, look with me at at verse 23. Popular verse says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All of us have that sin debt that I was talking about. 100% of us have that sin debt and fallen short of the glory of God. Now look at this. They are justified freely by his grace. There's a couple things that I want to look at here. First of all, the second point that I want you to write down this morning. Okay, so we talked about the bridge, Jesus Christ. The second thing that I want you to write down is that God's righteousness comes by faith, revealing his justice, revealing his justice. So the mental picture that I want to give you for God's justice is a courtroom. I want you to think of a courtroom. Anytime that you hear the word justice in the Bible, I want you to think of a courtroom or a legal transaction. In fact, the Apostle Paul uses the different forms of the word justice or justification 20 times in both the book of Romans and in Galatians. It's the center of the gospel. We've got to talk about God's justice if we're going to talk about the gospel. The heart of justification is the crediting of one person's righteousness to the account of another. So whenever you hear the word justice, I want you to think about how God's, Jesus's righteousness, he he lived a perfect life, how his righteousness has been credited to you. And the reality is all of us are on trial. And and you might, uh, I want you to hear this loud and clear. The penalty of our sin is the death penalty. And, And you might say, well, you know, Pastor Dan, that seems a little harsh. That seems a little harsh that that the penalty of my sin, I I really feel like a pretty good person. How can the penalty of my sin be the death penalty? Well, the Bible tells us right here in verse 23 that the wages of sin is death. But doesn't that seem a little harsh to you? I heard an example this week that I just think really cleared it up for me and that I want to help even with you. Let's imagine that you went into a junkyard. You know where you can go get car parts if you need like an old car part, you know, maybe they don't make that car part anymore and so you need to go into a junkyard. And so you are in its junkyard and it's full of all these different types of cars. Imagine someone were to pull out their keys in that junkyard, go buy one of those cars and just take their key 
and run it down the side of a car. Now, how much would the owner of that junkyard really care about you running your key down? Maybe a little bit if someone needed that panel, but for the most part, you know, these are old junky cars anyway. You wouldn't get into much trouble if you ran your key down the side of an old junky car. Well, let, let's change the example then. Let's say you go out into a used parking lot. Used cars are all around where people can buy. And, and certainly if, if you go out, I mean, these cars have been used before. You know, they've got miles on them, but, but they're still trying to sell these cars. Let's say you take the same key and pull it out and run it down one of those cars. Oh man, would you get into trouble, especially by the owner. You might have to even pay for you know, the, the damages that, that you have, have done. So what we see is the punishment goes up based on the value of the car. Now, let's go to a luxury car lot. It's got Lamborghinis. It's got Ferraris. It's got beautiful cars, many of which that some of us can't even afford even today. Maybe even a Rolls, Rolls Royce out there. And you take the same key that you've done with these other cars and you run it down one of those Ferraris, I guarantee you that by doing that, you would probably go to jail. And what happened? It was the same key. It was the same sin. But what happened in each of those instances? The value of what you destroyed, in a sense, went up with each item. Well, let's talk about God. God is infinitely valuable. And so when you sin against a infinitely valuable, pure and holy God, the God of the universe, many times we think that we're just running our key down some junky car. But the reality is God is even better than a Ferrari. And so the punishment goes up the, the more valuable something becomes. And I want you to hear this, that justice has to take place. And so you go into the courtroom and you have been told that you have, that you have maliciously uh, uh, offended a pure and holy God. And the justice of God is that legal transaction where when Jesus died on the cross, you get his righteousness. He gets your sin. Did you still sin? Yes. But legally, it all gets washed away. We've got some of our moms that are here today. I just want to kind of drive this home. Moms are, are watching online today. Some of the moms that are in the parking lot today. Some of you actually gave birth to your children. They are your biological children. But we've got some incredible moms that are here today who have adopted children. And let me ask you this, are your adopted children, by the way, my wife is, is adopted and uh, Miss Alicia, who is our uh, children, uh, who is our, our student minister, she, she was adopted and, and we got several others that have been adopted and I just wanna recognize them and they've got some incredible moms uh, that are watching here today. Are, are those kids that you have adopted, are, are those kids just as much your children as ones that have given uh, birth biologically? Absolutely. But the reality is what happened was for many of them is they walked into a court of law and there was a legal transaction where they became your children and they are 100% your children. The reality is for us is that yes, we still sin. Yes, we still messed up, but there is a legal transaction and that legal transaction is God's justice. 
The third thing that I want you to write down this morning is we've talked about a bridge with Jesus and a courtroom with uh, justice. The third thing is God's righteousness comes by faith. Number three, given by his grace. Given by his grace. Grace is getting something that you don't deserve. But grace is what sets you free, listen to me, to live for God. You know, we've been talking about people that are struggling during this time and during the pandemic. What if someone graciously gave you some money during this pandemic in order to help you buy food and, and to help your family? And you took the money that they gave you during this time and you went out and blew it on a brand new Apple Watch. Would that be using their grace wisely? Well, as we see right here in the passage, it says, it says in verse 24, for they are justified, we just talked about that, freely by his grace. So grace is something that is given that, that you don't deserve. And, and sometimes people misuse the grace of God and they use it for a purpose that it wasn't intended. I've talked to people from all other religions, from some other religions who cannot believe that we don't have to work in order to be saved from our sins. They say, you don't have to work to be saved from your sins? And then they look back at me and they say, so, so you can just profess Jesus as your savior and then walk out and do whatever you want? And I look at them and say, no, no, there is some accountability. Here's the mental picture that I want to give you for, for grace. As we've talked about the bridge, as we've talked about the courtroom, grace, the, the mental picture that I want to give you if a, is a driver's license, a driver's license. For some of you, you have teenagers, or maybe you remember back when your kids were teenagers and they got that driver's license. Oh, that's a scary time for, for so many parents. It's an exciting time for those teenagers. And when they go to get that driver's license, what does that driver's license represent? That driver's license represents freedom. Maybe even a freedom that they've never had. A freedom to be able to go out. They don't have to wait for a ride. They don't have to wait to do something. Now they can just get in the car, crank the car, and go where they want to go. Not only does it give them freedom, but it also gives them a responsibility. Perhaps they've gone and gotten a job in those teenage years. And they say, now I've got a responsibility to my job. And so what that driver's license does is it helps them to fulfill that responsibility. Here's what that driver's license doesn't do. That driver's license doesn't give them a license to drive recklessly, does it? Now, many teenagers do, I'll admit, but it doesn't give them a license to drive recklessly. That's what the grace of God is for us. It sets us free. We don't deserve it, but it sets us free from our sin and our bondage in order for us to live for Jesus. Not only does it set us free, but it also gives us a responsibility. We have a responsibility to live for him. And then in the midst of all that, what it doesn't do is it doesn't give us a means to live our lives recklessly. So God's grace is something that gives us freedom for for, to go out and to live for him, to tell others about him. It gives us a responsibility, but it doesn't allow us to live recklessly. And so you can't say, well, I'm saved. And so I'm going to live sinful. I'm going to live sinful in my relationships. I'm going to live sinful in my business or my entertainment. I'm going to blow my witness. No, no, no. It helps us live with freedom and responsibility. So we've talked about how Jesus is the bridge. 
how justice is the courtroom, how grace is the driver's license. And then I want you to look with me again in verse 24. Talk about they are justified freely by his grace. But then here's another word that I want you to recognize. Through the redemption. Through the redemption. Write this down as number four. God's righteousness comes by faith. Number four, expressing his redemption. Expressing his redemption. In our day and age, we've actually kind of lost sight of this, this word redemption or redeemed. We've lost weight of the word. But as the original readers are, are, are listening to this letter, maybe it's being read aloud to the church at Rome, they would understand the weight of this word redemption. It was a term that wasn't lost on either Jews or Gentiles because this was a word, look at me, that referred to the slave market. Do you realize back in the first century, which the Apostle Paul wrote this, back in the first century that probably half of the population was slaves? They were servants of someone else? Now, it was, it was very different from what we kind of think in our minds, slavery and, and, and the, the horrible slavery that, that took place in, in our nation in the United States many years ago. Slavery back in this day and age was something that you could actually get out of. Did you know that? And it was something that you could actually buy your way out of. You could pay money and you could gain your freedom. Do you want to know what that word is called for paying for your freedom? Redemption. And so you could either pay for it yourself or someone could pay it for you so that you could be freed from your slavery. This is huge. This gives so much more weight to what we're reading. Jesus' blood not only washes away our sin, but it purchases our freedom. Later on, as we will be looking in the book of Romans chapter 6, but just listen to me this morning. Romans chapter 6, verses 16 through 18. Listen to this. See if it resonates in what we just talked about. He says, Paul says, you are slaves to the one that you obey. Whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, we talked about that, or obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you have come to obey from your heart the pattern of teaching that has now claimed your allegiance. Listen to this. You have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. In other words, he says, you've been set free. You've been set free from your sin and now you live for righteousness. First Peter chapter one, verses 18 and 19. I mean, it's a clear picture coming from the apostle Peter. For you know that you were redeemed from your empty way of life. Did you catch that word redeemed? You were redeemed, you were bought, you were purchased from an empty old way of life, inherited from your ancestors not with perishable things like silver or gold. Now listen to this, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of an unblemished, spotless lamb. He purchased us from our slavery. And finally, as we've talked about how Jesus is the bridge, justice is the courtroom, grace is the driver's license, redemption is the purchase of our freedom, the last thing that I want us to see is that God's righteousness comes by faith. Number five, bringing about his atonement, bringing about his atonement. 
Now you might think, I, Pastor, I don't know what that word atonement means. Well, here's what I want you to think. Here's the mental picture that I want to give you this morning. I want you to think of a sacrificial altar, a sacrificial altar. It's here that we get a deep theological word right from this passage. Let me read it for you in verse 25. God presented him, talking about Jesus, as an atoning sacrifice in his blood. That word atoning sacrifice can also be translated propitiation. And that deep theological word simply means this, to satisfy. Listen to this. Uh, Warren Wiersbe, commentator, says propitiation means the satisfying of God's holy law, the meeting of its just demands, so that God can freely forgive those who come to Christ. The word blood tells us what the price was. Jesus had to die on the cross in order to satisfy the law and justify lost sinners. So the mental picture here that, that we have is, is on the day of atonement, when it comes to, when it comes to the Jews, they would go out and there would be these two goats and the high priest would stand before the people with these two goats. And one of these goats, they would, they would kill and its blood they would take and they would go to the Ark of the Covenant. With that blood, they would go into the, the place called the Holy of Holies and they would dip their hands in the blood and they would sprinkle the blood on, on the mercy seat. And that was meant to atone or cover for or satisfy the sins of the people. Then they had another goat that they would lay their hands on. And what it kind of represented was our sin being transferred to this, this perfect animal. And so that had no blemish, no flaws. And so they would lay their hands on it. And what would happen is then they would send that goat into the wilderness. And it was a picture of taking away the sins of the people. Well, what we find out is that that could only temporarily take away people's sins. The prophet Micah actually talked about this. And he said, well, God, what do you want me to come before you with? And, and he says this, shall I come before? Shall I come before the Lord and bow before the exalted God? Shall I come before him? Now listen to this. With burnt offerings or with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams? With 10,000 rivers of olive oil? Listen to this. He even, he even ups it a notch. Should I give an animal or should I give my firstborn? Shall I offer my firstborn for my transgression? The fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? And he's giving this rhetorical question. Can I come and just bring you sacrifices over and over and over? Isn't that what you want, God? And ultimately God says, no, I don't want the sacrifices of an animal because they don't last. The only sacrifice that satisfies me is my son, Jesus Christ. And we have to put our faith and our trust in him. As we get ready to close this morning, I want to give us a, a vivid picture of what it means for Jesus to be that atoning sacrifice for our sin. I want to give us a picture of what propitiation really looks like. I want to, there's a, a story, it's not a true story, but I have a feeling that it might be true in some cases. Imagine that there's a, a young man and his name is Neil. And, and Neil has kind of been known for living on the wild side of life. And he meets a girl named Sally and they're in college together. They're both in their early 20s. And Sally doesn't know about Neil. He's kind of a one of those wild guys. But you know what? She thinks that he's cute. 
and she's willing to give it a try. And so Sally begins to date Neil. And so as Sally begins to date Neil, there was one night that they go to a party and, and Neil kind of lets himself go and gets inebriated and, and he thinks, you know what, I, I'm okay enough to drive. And so he cranks the car and Sally gets in the car with him. And, and so he begins to, to drive. Well, as you can imagine, something happens on the way home and, and he loses control of the car and it careens off of a bridge and they're both involved in a horrible car accident. He wakes up that, that, that next day and he's got a headache and he's in the hospital and he doesn't really know what happened. And, and so he first question out of his mouth with all the bruises and cuts and everything. He says, how is, how is Sally? How, how is she doing? And as the doctor walks in and as the parents walk in, they give Neil some sad news that Sally is now paralyzed from the waist down. She'll never walk again and she'll be in a wheelchair for the rest of her life. He said, well, can, can it, I at least talk to her? And, and they, the, the people look back and parents look back and the doctor says, she does not want to talk to you. Well, as the next couple of days and weeks unfold, we find out that Sally and her family, they, they hire a lawyer. And they hire a lawyer because they're going to press charges against Neil. That relationship that was once so close has now been divided and she's going to press charges. And so they begin to press these charges. And, and let me tell you, that Neil gets a lawyer, she gets a lawyer. And as these lawyers begin to talk, one of the things that that begins to happen now is they're only concerned with one thing now. And the one thing that as these lawyers talk about is what will it take from Neil in order for Sally to be satisfied? They're angry. Her family is angry because of what he's done. What will it take? Is it money? Is it jail time? What is it going to take for them to be satisfied? And that is a picture of this word propitiation, of atonement. We have offended a pure and holy God. What is it going to take now for us to satisfy this God in which we have offended so deeply and so badly? And the reality is the only thing that will satisfy Him is His Son, Jesus Christ. He has to put the payment out for us. He has to do the jail time and the punishment for us. And the beautiful thing, the beautiful picture is he did it for you and for me. And if you will trust in him with all of your heart, then he will make the payment, the atonement, the propitiation for you and me.